Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at current events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now. This episode of All Things is brought to you by Crossway, publisher of the new book, Behold and Believe, a Bible study on the I Am statements of Jesus by Courtney Doctor and Joanna Kimbrell. Seeing is believing. If we want to know who Jesus is and why he is important to our lives, we need to take a closer look at what he said about himself. Whether you've never read the Bible, have followed Jesus for years, or find yourself somewhere in between, this seven-week Bible study from Courtney Doctor and Joanna Kimbrell explores the question, who is Jesus? Using the I Am statements in the Gospel of John, readers will learn how to observe, interpret, apply, and reflect on key Bible verses about Jesus's identity. Weekly prayers, memory verses, brief commentaries, and discussion questions help women to see Jesus, trust him alone for salvation, and proclaim his goodness to others. Pick up a copy of Behold and Believe today and receive 30% off when you sign up for a free Crossway Plus account at crossway.org forward slash plus. Well, I am super excited to bring you today's episode of All Things because it's on one of my very favorite topics, women's ministry. And Jen Wilkin is joining me. And I don't think she needs any introduction for most of you, but just in case, so you know, Jen Wilkin is an author and Bible teacher from Dallas, Texas. She has organized and led studies for women in home, church, and parachurch contexts. An advocate for Bible literacy, her passion is to see others become articulate and committed followers of Christ with a clear understanding of why they believe what they believe grounded in the word of God. Chances are high that you've read Jen's book, Women of the Word, or you've participated in one of her excellent and many and in-depth Bible studies. Our church uses her resources frequently, and I'm so thankful for the way that she has poured into women around the world and how she's just been a champion for women to know God and to know his word. So Jen wrote an article for Christianity Today last month, and the article is entitled, Honor Thy Church Mothers with wages. Now, in my opinion, the article is so helpful and necessary, and it's a loving exhortation to the average American church, which does not compensate the women who lead their vital women's ministries and Bible studies. Jen cites new research from Lifeway Research, which finds that over 83% of women who serve in women's ministries across the nation do so as volunteers. So for the vast majority, women who lead in churches are not being paid to do so. So that's what you're going to hear us talk about, why that is, why that should not be. We cover a lot of good news and offer some loving critiques, so you're going to hear both. My hope is that women in ministry or women who attend women's ministry and also pastors and elders and male church leaders will listen to this conversation and glean both some good news, but also some areas for growth. Also, when the episode is over, please be sure to check the show notes. I'm going to leave you with a handful of resources that I know are reputable and practical and affordable if you are a woman who wants to grow in your capacity for ministry or if you know a woman who does. All right, well, let's listen in. Welcome to All Things, everybody. Today I have with me Jen Wilkin. Jen, thanks for being on the podcast. It's so good to be on. It's the Jen Show today. 
That's right. I love that. I love that. Well, I wanted to have you on because you wrote an article last month, which was so helpful. And in it, you referenced some research that was going to come out this month, which came out last week. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, it's LifeWay Research. They surveyed about 1,000 female churchgoers and 843 women's ministry leaders for their state of ministry to women study. Mm -hmm. The statistics are super interesting. I've poured over them now for the last week, and I want to chat with you about them. Um, But as we lay the groundwork for this, inevitably, I know that the conversation kind of has to start with the question of why should we have women's ministry in the first place? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a valid question. And I do think it is the question that will be lurking in the minds of anyone who reads the statistics is like, gosh, maybe the fact that this is almost entirely unpaid work means that it's not essential. To what we're doing. And I think that, that, that we have to ask ourselves what we mean when we say women's ministry before we seek to dignify the, uh, the role of the person who is leading it. And which is not to say that we should be dismissive of various forms, but we do want women's ministry to be substantive. Uh, and we do want it to be well done if it's something that we're going to talk about, um, whether it should be a compensated role or not. And so um, there are, you know, women's ministry can look a lot of different ways. And if the main focus of it is not something that is clearly tied to disciple making, if it's uh, not something that's clearly tied to the work of fulfilling the Great Commission, then it's worth evaluating. So when we talk about uh, women's ministry in general, we do need to ask, what do we mean by that? When I talk about it, what I mean is that there would be a gender-specific space in which um, older women are able to equip younger women in ways that wouldn't happen outside of an all-female space. And so um, that's going to have pastoral components to it. Notice I didn't say a woman is a pastor, but a pastoral component in the sense that there will be care that a woman can provide for another woman that could not be provided by a man. And there will be vulnerability that a woman will have with another woman that she might not have with a man in leadership or maybe ought not to have with a man in leadership in terms of what she needs to share or the help that she might be seeking. So there's the care aspect of it, but then there's also the discipleship aspect of it. There is something to be said for a younger woman or a less mature woman in the faith seeing a more mature and older woman in the faith exercising skill in understanding and communicating the Bible or exercising skill in showing someone a better way to pray. Um, we, we follow people who we perceive to be a model to us, and so we should, we should want there to be a space in the church where female leaders are able to model something that male leaders are, are not going to. Hmm. Yeah, I appreciate your answer for a couple of reasons. One, you say it should be substantive, and I couldn't agree more. Um, we're not talking about, you know, gathering for tea or social circles, though that might be part of it, but we mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. we're seeking discipleship and um, mm-hmm. that women would come to know the Lord and to grow in him. Mm-hmm. Um, I find though, when I have conversations with those who have never been involved in women's ministry, so usually a pastor or another male mm-hmm. leader or churchgoer, there just is maybe they're not convinced that it's a useful space, you know, well, what Mm -hmm. can she really glean that she can't get on Sunday morning or that she can't get at small group? Like they seem a little bit mystified that a female only space is somehow useful. Would you mind unpacking that just a little more? Yeah. It can often be seen as a redundancy. And I think that a lot of times that added that, that perception can arise, um, 
out of a lack of experience of actually being in the space. And so, you know, one of the things that I will usually ask pastors to do when they begin to ask questions about the women's ministry at their church is, um, is to go spend time there, to go to the leader meetings and to go to the Bible study and see what's actually taking place, to have um, interactions with that leader, asking her what her vision is for the ministry and how is she building out that ministry. Because I think a lot of times the ministry is only seen at a distance, but because it's a, you know, a pink space, so to speak, uh, the pastor either feels that he would be an odd fit to show up at one of those things, or he just doesn't have any natural interest in, in being there. So whichever of those two it is or somewhere in between, I would just urge him not to take maybe his wife's word for it because she's been there, um, even though her perspective on it might be valid, but that he should have firsthand understanding of what is actually going on in the space. And then, yeah, if what's going on in the space looks like a big redundancy to what's happening on Sunday morning, then there probably needs to be a conversation about what what is unique about that space beyond just the fact that it's an all-female one. Mm -hmm. But I would say that that's true for every area of ministry. So for example, you don't want your student ministry to be knocking off what's happening on a Sunday morning. It should be doing something that is very distinctly different from that. You don't want your children's ministry to be a substitute for what's happening on Sunday morning. Um, I think with a home group, since home groups are by definition, well, I guess they're not always by definition, but in most cases, those are mixed gender spaces. Um, what my experience has been, and I think many women's experience has been in a home group setting, is that not only does the majority of the hospitality and childcare element fall to the women in those groups, um, but also their ability to opt into the conversations is often limited by those other factors as well. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, a home group is good at forming community, but it's not a great place for necessarily learning things. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but many women are not comfortable speaking into a mixed gender discussion at a thought level um, because we have baggage around that sometimes in our churches, it, or maybe they just have baggage around it themselves. Either way, it means that the conversations that do happen in a mixed gender setting are not always as balanced as uh, the men may perceive them to be. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, men speak twice as often as women in a mixed setting. That's not a church statistic. That's just a sociological statistic. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we talk about single gender spaces, one of the most beautiful things that I think they do is they allow a woman to feel more comfortable actually speaking up and participating. And in most cases, because we remove barriers of childcare and schedule it at a time that works for her, it allows her to opt in at a level that she might not be able to in another space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that phrase opt in, I think is really helpful. It's true. In women's ministry, I have seen, you know, you and I both have served in women's ministry for mm -hmm. decades at this mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And I have just seen such a radical transformation happen to a woman who is maybe on the periphery or yeah. maybe who hasn't even come into church yet, but mm -hmm. she's invited by a friend or a colleague or a sister and she comes and she feels seen and cared for and like there's space for her to say something silly and wrong, um, a gentle place for her to learn and grow. And then mm -hmm. she opts into more of church life. She trusts more what's going on on Sunday mornings or other opportunities to serve and come alongside her new faith family. It's just you're exactly, it's kind of like you're, this gateway. 
You're exactly right. And I think that's something that's often overlooked in a broader discipleship strategy, like just an adult discipleship strategy at a church or even wanting to be a hospitable place is when you're looking for where, where are the front doors to our church, it is surprising to me how rarely women's ministry is seen as that, but how much of a front door it truly is. We see it all the time in the Bible study that I'm a part of in my own local church. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a big deal to go visit uh, a small group, you know, a home group, whatever your community calls them. There's a million different names for them. Um, And you you feel like you have to go and sort of it's like a blind date and sign your life away with a group of people that you don't know very well. But a women's Bible study, by contrast, is something that you can opt into for a set period of time and it can allow you to develop some low-level relationships that then help you decide whether you might want to visit the small group of a woman who is in that setting. Uh, or not, but yeah, it's a place where uh, for a lot of and for a lot of families, the the person who brings the family to church, the very first person who says, "Hey, we should check this church out," is is the the woman, the 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 wife or the mother. Yeah, yeah, that is really true. So I guess yeah, what we're saying to whoever is listening, I mean, I think I run into a lot of women who are involved in churches who that don't have a women's ministry, or there might be a male listening to this who's a leader at his church and he's recognizing they don't have a women's ministry. Um, and I hope they'll, they'll take our word for it. And maybe as you say, go see, go see a women's ministry for themselves, but they are just such a fruitful, special place. And, Mm -hmm. um, I'm just so thankful for the time I have spent in women's ministry. And I know that that goes for so many women that we know. Mm -hmm. So that leads me into kind of the crux of why I reached out to you and said, Hey, you want to come on the podcast and talk about this? You and I know, and many women know, um, and many pastors know as well, just how deeply valuable their women's ministry are. Mm-hmm. And yet, here is some data that LifeWay uncovered for us. Um, 83% of women's ministry leaders serve as volunteers or unpaid staff. Mm-hmm. Only 9% are paid part-time, and only 8% are paid full-time. So mm-hmm. we see right here the vast majority of women who lead in women's ministry are doing so in the margins of life as volunteers unpaid. And that statistic even carries over to larger churches with more than 500 um, members. You wrote in your article that only 29% of women's ministry leaders were were paid full-time positions for those larger churches. Mm -hmm. 24% were paid part-time, almost half, 46% received no pay. So it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily a you know, we're a church plant or we're a small church and can't afford it because this translates into our bigger churches as well. And I know this is a massive question, but it's going to help us get toward the the crux of it. Why do you think so few women's ministry leaders are paid by their, by their churches? Well, first, let me just tell a little my own story related to this to help you understand why this was something I even cared to write an article on in the first place. Um, Back in 1996, when I was just a young pup, I was volunteering at my church. Uh, I was volunteering on the women's ministry lead team. The church was probably about 1,200 people at that point. It had grown fairly rapidly over the uh, previous four or five years. And um, the woman who was leading the team had led for about two years. She was not paid and she stepped down. She was the third leader that I had served under at that point in the short time that I had been on the women's ministry team. And that is because it was too much work for a volunteer. Uh, because we kept churning through leaders for the team, the, the, the ministry wasn't gaining the momentum that it could. It was like a reset with a new leader every year to two years in. 
there was no formal budget for the ministry. Anytime that we wanted to plan something, we had to raise our hand and ask for money to be allocated for what we wanted to do. So I wrote an email to the executive pastor of the church and I said, would you consider hiring someone part-time into this role just so that there can be stability in the ministry? Because this is, you know, obviously a meaningful part of the church. That was recognized that it was a meaningful part of the church, but, um, we weren't placing our, our money where our mouth was. And so even though I'm a huge believer in volunteer service and have myself served as a volunteer in women's ministry for most of the time that I've been involved in it, uh, uh, there is something to be said for looking at that women's ministry role the same way that we would look at uh, another role in the church with comparable uh, influence on the spiritual formation of well, in this case, over half of the the adult attendees in the church. So I wrote this email, and the the executive pastor invited me to come meet with him. And he said, um, "Gosh, I agree with you. And would you do this?" <laughs> I had okay. <laughs> I had four children under the age of five, and I said, "Gosh, I'm probably the most unemployable person you've ever met at at this moment." And he said, "Well, we'll work with you. We'll figure out how to make it work." And they started by paying me at twelve hours a week, and I came in for a staff meeting. Um, eventually, they started helping find ways for me to have my childcare worked out. Anyway, they were very forward thinking in this in this regard, and so for five years, I served in that role, paid for part time work. And I saw firsthand how the ministry changes when not only does a leader have buy-in because her work is is being dignified with pay, but also because I was able to prioritize time for it in a way that I wouldn't have if I were a volunteer. Uh, and then secondly, how the um, the perspective of the church shifted toward women's ministry when it became something that was a formal part of the adult discipleship process. So we look at these statistics and you have to ask why, why here we are almost, you know, what is that? I can't do math. 20 years later. Mm -hmm. Is that right? 30 yeah. years later. Close to yeah, 25. Time flies, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 25 <laughs> years later and, and still we're seeing that this is a, something that is, is not, not being thought of in equivalent terms to, to other uh, ministry positions. And I do think that some of the reason that we still find ourselves here is because of what I've described earlier, that the, the, the pastor who is responsible for oversight for the area may not have very much of a sense of what is going on or much of a sense of what could be going on, how mm -hmm. that could be part of a larger strategy. Um, I think that there's a tendency for male leaders to say, well, I don't, I don't understand what they're doing. I'll just let them do whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. That's two hands off. But then there's a there's another version of this that isn't great, and that's when they say, "Well, actually, I think I know better than than they do how this should go." And then there's there's sort of an an overmanagement of what is a, a role that does need to be filled by a female, an embodied female. So, I think then you combine that with most pastors uh, have have networks for filling roles on staff that they have developed through their time in seminary or other ministry environments. And those networks are almost entirely, if not entirely male. Mm -hmm. And so when there is room to develop a new position on staff and they're thinking about who they can hire in terms of qualifications that they're already aware of or relationships that are pre-existing, those are probably going to be with men. And so when personnel dollars do come available to hire for a role, it's understandable that that's where their attention goes. I say it's understandable, but I don't say that it's ideal. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So you're saying it's basically a combination of they don't know the potential or value of a women's ministry because they haven't seen it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, their network for hiring as they envision how, how am I going to grow this church, both maybe in depth and breadth. They're imagining other men, not necessarily other women. Yeah. And a lot so of times if you think up. about let's let's talk about the the youth minister position sort of as a comparable okay. you know it's like it's an it's a niche ministry it typically serves a smaller uh, number of people than a women's ministry position would but obviously we're talking about you know, developing children into adults. And so there's an, I can understand why you would hire a student minister before you might think about hiring a women's ministry director. But the way that we think about a student minister is markedly different than the way that we would think about a women's ministry director, because a lot of times the student minister role is seen as a developmental role, right? Like that's a stopping point typically for a guy who will become a pastor at some point. The women's ministry role in a conservative, a theologically conservative space is a dead-end job. If you're thinking about roles in terms of being a stop on a developmental highway, um, now it doesn't necessarily have to be a dead-end job. There might be another role that a woman in that role could move into after she steps out of that one. But a lot of times pastors, when they look at a role and think, well, this person can't become a pastor, therefore... I don't know how I would even develop someone in that role. They can lack imagination around the usefulness of the role because um, from their perspective as someone who is a pastor, this is not a role that is leading to that. So therefore, who would, and I think sometimes there's even a sense of like, well, who would even really want that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that pay, and you you mentioned this in the research points to it as well, is is part of the conversation and it's a big part of it, but attached to that is just involvement in staff and being yeah. in staff meetings and strategic mm-hmm. meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about that? Are women at those tables? Why or why not? And why do we want them at those tables? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think in some cases they are, but it sounds like according to the research that was done, and I would say just anecdotally what I hear from women, that that is, that is not usually the case. Yeah. Um, that uh, it's a very lonely way to do ministry because mm-hmm. you do feel like you're operating kind of off to the side on your own. And anytime that you're operating on your your own off to the side, you're faced with this challenge of thinking, well, I mean, I'm sort of not on anybody's radar. Therefore, I do have a lot of ability to craft this exactly the way that um, I think that it should work. But but the the flip side of that is you're open to a great deal of liability if what you're doing comes under scrutiny. Because if there's something that you're doing that it turns out someone who is in a position of authority doesn't like, then it's going to, you know, the narrative can arise that you have built an ivory tower ministry over to the side. When in fact, what you may have done is just been operating in a vacuum because there was not any direct communication from leadership toward you. What I find from the women that I talk to is that they would love to be a part of those meetings. They would love to be a part of a holistic discipleship strategy in which they're seen as specialists who also have a lot of general access to um, the spiritual formation of the the women that they're serving. Um, And instead, they're often seen as sort of a nice but not necessary addition to church life. And because their contributions are viewed as nice but not necessary, they are resourced as such and they're funded as such. Mm -hmm. 
So one question that I frequently hear from pastors, especially who are sort of wrestling with what we're talking about is this, why should we pay a woman to run women's ministry if we're not paying a man to specifically run men's ministry? Well, I don't want to say that you shouldn't have a man running men's ministry, but I do think that if we look at this in terms of the paradigm of the church as the family of God, it is worth pastors asking the question, okay, do I have both visible male and female role models who um, who those the generation that's coming along behind can look to? In other words, we know that we want to act as brothers and sisters within the family of God, but in a healthy functioning family, we have church fathers and we have church mothers. And so one of the key roles that a women's ministry leader can fill that is more than likely not already represented in some form on your staff is that of a church mother. She can be someone who can have input into more than just a women's ministry space. She can be a help to to a pastor in terms of dealing with issues of care because it's in those single gender spaces, in those all-female spaces that most, if not all, um, disclosures of abuse are going to come out. And so you want to have that person there as an ally to help that woman get the help that she needs, um, as an advocate to stand beside a woman as she walks through whatever process she needs to to receive care. But not only that, but uh, when rooms are all male, um, then decision-making tends to happen only along lines that are typical of male decision-making, very straight line and logical, and uh, which is not to say, please don't overhear what I'm saying. I don't believe that women are illogical, but sociologically speaking, you can see that male and female decision-making falls along certain lines. Women tend to be more coll- collaborative and mm-hmm. consensus-seeking. Um, They tend to look at relationships, whereas men tend to look at processes. And so neither form of decision-making is bad, but either form in isolation can lead to misses in in the ministry that we're trying to do. And so um, a female women's ministry leader can be a beautiful addition, not just for the sake of the women to whom she will minister, but also Mm -hmm. to the staff as a whole in terms of the input that she can give. Yeah. Yeah. You and, you know, your colleagues on Knowing Faith, um, JT English and Kyle Worley, you guys have done such a great job over the last few years of helping us refocus this conversation regarding brothers and sisters and the faith family. And that is something that has been so lost Mm -hmm. in recent generations. And so I appreciate you pointing us back to that again and saying, you know, we need mothers, sisters, brothers, fathers represented Mm -hmm. at the table. Representation Mm -hmm. matters. There are um, issues and angles that only certain parts of the family can see Mm -hmm. um, and things that members of the family can address with those Mm -hmm. who are coming to the church as well. And so it is beneficial to the whole family to have different members present Mm -hmm. um, in leadership roles that are paid and that are um, involved in staff and strategic meetings. Well, and going back to your earlier question of why have a women's ministry you know, if you decide, well, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing that at my church. It is important for pastors to know that just your decision as a church to not have a women's ministry doesn't mean that the women in your church will not be participating in women's ministry. (laughs) Uh, They will go participate in it at the church that is offering it. Mm -hmm. And you will actually have, if you have very little idea what's going on in your own women's ministry, you will have zero idea what's going on in theirs. And so Mm -hmm. as someone who cares about guarding doctrine and making sure that the people who are in your care are receiving good teaching and good formative practices. If you decide to opt out of having uh, women's ministry at your own church, just know that um, women who are looking for spiritual mothers don't stop looking
looking for them just because they don't see them in your church. They will go find them. They'll either go find them at another church or they'll go find them online. And um, the likelihood that um, uh, the pastor will even know the names of the women that are influencing their women at that point is low, uh, much less the kinds of influence that those women are having on, on the women in his own church. I have absolutely seen that time and time again. You are right. Women will go find what they need. We are innovative or what they think and they resourceful. need. Absolutely. Yeah, or what they, what think, they think they need, they need. which is, mm-hmm. you know, which is not awesome either. You know, I remember right. a few years ago, there were some prominent female voices who were uh, deconstructing. And I mean, that's going to yeah. continue to happen. We'll continue to see that happening. And um, up until it got very public and uh, then they began to be on the radar of, of men in leadership. Um, they, they had a huge influence over women in, in my church and your church, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yet the, the men who were responsible for the oversight of the women in their own churches wouldn't have even known the names of these women until things were to a point where it was obvious, um, that the train had left the tracks. Something closely related that I would love to ask you about, and it's something that I feel like maybe after that first question that I asked you about, you know, why have a specific women's ministry leader if you don't have a specific men's ministry leader, probably the second most common reaction I have heard in these conversations is, well, we tried that, or I saw another church try that and the women's ministry went rogue. (laughs) And it was like, there was this whole church alongside the church, but these women were not integrated into the church. And, um, you know, I know how I've responded to it, maybe not the best, but Jen, what would you say to that particular question? Well, I would say that if you tried to start a ministry and it didn't uh, become a part of your broader um, strategy, that's actually on you for not vetting and uh, getting the right leader in place. Uh, or not having enough oversight over what was happening to ensure that the ministry was a success. And I don't think it's fair to characterize women's ministry in particular as having a tendency to go rogue. I think if we do that, then we've said something fundamental about women that I really don't like uh, and that I don't believe is true. I don't believe that women um, come to church to try to take things that aren't theirs. I believe Mm -hmm. that they come to church and they see a need and they rush to fill it. They would love to have oversight and direction, but in its absence, they will still organize and do the thing that needs to be done, Uh, which is why I think we see so many women who are willing to serve in a volunteer capacity with no thought for compensation, which praise God, we need the church to not be built on people who are looking to be compensated. That's not the question in view here. The question Mm -hmm. is, are there inequities that exist between the way that we compensate one role and another in a church that has the ability to pay someone in the, in the women's ministry role. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I would say that, um, one of the reasons that a wrong leader gets put in place when there is an opportunity to start the women's ministry or to build a women's ministry is again, related to the relational piece. Um, there is a lot of relational capital already built between a pastor and other male leaders. And so the likelihood that he's going to choose the right male is higher than the likelihood that he's going to choose the most qualified female. In the case of a lot of women who I see get put into those roles when a church is in a hurry to build a ministry, it's, oh, well, so-and-so said she's great. Yeah. You know, and, and there's not the, the, the same homework is not done yeah. to determine whether it really is the best person. And we all know anyone who has led in ministry knows it is much harder to remove a, a, a wrong choice than it is to get a right choice in place. But it takes longer to hire the right person than it does to just fill a role. 
And so if there's more vigilance up front and if trust is built before the role is established and the ministry is crafted, then the likelihood of success for the ministry goes up as it does in any other ministry area. Yeah. Yeah. We, having been church planters ourselves more than once, I know how exhausting it is for um, elders who are just starting out and are, are trying to, to create a body of believers, you know, from mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I know there's the, that feeling of, of being overwhelmed and women's ministry can quickly be sort of bumped to the back burner or seen as, um, you know, I mean, this isn't very, um, you know, benefit of the doubt, but even as a nuisance or like, oh, I, I can't possibly work on that now. I've got to get the children's ministry and the youth ministry and the tithing mm-hmm. and all these things going underway. But what you said that women really want to be invited to the table and are an asset in that situation. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, recognizing I'm a brother who needs my sister at the table. Mm-hmm. I'm a mother who needs a father at the table and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then you can grow something really constructive and helpful and biblical and good and nourishing for the whole body. If you set out to do it. Um, right. And that is, that is definitely better than to have it be an afterthought. Well, and I mean, it's not like nobody's doing it well. Like, we, we we should have the same level of curiosity and exploration that we would have if we were building a family ministry. You know, you yeah. don't just sit down and pull out a white sheet of paper and sort of start dreaming about how you want your family ministry to run. You contact the church that's done it really well for a really long time and you say, what are your best practices? I also, do you know anyone who might be a person who'd be suitable for this role at my mm-hmm. church? And so when we think about women's ministry, there are churches that have done women's ministry well for eons. And they would love, I trust me, mm-hmm. they would love to tell you how they did it. They would love to hand you the playbook because it's not, it's not anything new. It's, it's all established best practices um, that can work either with a full volunteer team if your church is not big enough or far enough down the line to employ someone or with someone who is a bought in uh, paid staff member. Yeah. Jen, one thing I hear often is that having a woman on staff will be awkward or lead to inappropriate contexts. Um, how do you respond to that or how do you make that not true? Yeah, that's always a funny question for me to hear. Some of that's just based on my own experience of being a woman on staff because it's like, well, what kind of meetings are you picturing having with the men? Like, are you guys going to have slumber parties every week? You know, like the sheer number of spaces in which you can have the same kind of meeting with either a male or a female who is either on your staff or just in your downline in a volunteer capacity is staggering. The sheer number of places where no one would bat an eye for the two of you to sit down and have a meeting far outnumbers any potential um, scandalous locations that the two of you might accidentally find yourself in because, I don't know, I just think, I think there's a lot of heightened fear about managing risk that typically the woman who wants to, you know, find her way into the role and, and build the ministry, she is not thinking about that at all. She's just like, mm-hmm. just give me what I need to build the ministry. Um, and, and so I think assuming um, a different thing about each other coming toward uh, the beginning of those relationships out of trust instead of out of fear, which is the way that a brother-sister relationship would be shaped, yes. and then allowing trust to develop along the lines that it does in any relationship. And I mean, I think I would just add to that, that we are in a day and age where to say that it's safer to have a meeting with someone of the same sex, because there won't be any kind of attractional element there. Uh, we just, we, we cannot say that. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, if we're going to draw boundaries around meeting alone with people because of sexual risk, then really mm-hmm. to be faithful, we should do it for, for both those who are the same sex and those who are opposite sex. So, yeah. And actually, that would solve a lot of issues. Um, yeah. just, just level the field and say, I'm only going to meet with human beings in my office, you know, yes. male or female in my office. And, and then there you've solved your problem. Yeah, no, that's helpful. That's really good. Well, Jen, how would you recommend a woman's ministry leader, leader who isn't getting paid or who isn't invited into staff meetings or strategic planning meetings or isn't invested in, in those ways, how might she start those conversations? And I guess I want to caveat it by saying, when I have these conversations with other women in ministry, and I know the same is true for you, mm-hmm. they love their elders. They love mm-hmm. their churches. Yeah. They love mm-hmm. serving sacrificially. Mm-hmm. I, I can honestly say as many of these conversations as I've had, I've never had one with a woman who was really angry and out to get her leaders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, she's always been one to quickly say, I love my pastors. I love my church. I don't want to mm-hmm. speak ill of them, but I am tired or I don't have the space mm-hmm. to keep serving like this mm-hmm. at this capacity. If I can't get paid, I'm, I my kids are going to college. I need to get a job, you know, these sorts of things. So mm-hmm. how do you advise her, Jen? So the first thing I would say would be to pray. And I know that that sounds like the most Christian easy answer ever, but I mean it like pray and make sure that your heart isn't, isn't a good place with it. Um, you know, check your motives. Is this, um, is this more about you um, feeling that your work is dignified or is it more about being able to better represent the women in the church who won't ever sit in a meeting that you're going to be in? And it, mm-hmm. it's not that it would be wholly one or the other, but it is important to sit down and assess where you are at the moment that you're ready to, to maybe raise your hand and say, hey, I have a, I have a question to pose. And then I would say that um, the first step would probably be just to invite. It would be to invite whoever the leader is that's over the area uh, to come and and see what it is that you're doing, um, to offer to set up a meeting, to talk through what you are doing, um, and to invite uh, input into that. Um, to say, hey, you know, I actually would really benefit from having a regularly scheduled meeting with you. Would that be okay with you? Um, can I set that up? Uh, you know, maybe it's um, quarterly or maybe it's once a month, depending on the scope of the ministry or how, how developed the ministry is. Um, I think another thing that is good to do is to um, tell the stories of what is happening in the ministry. So it may be in a larger church that you send out a survey. I would, I would say you should do this anyway, but send out surveys, you know, to your, to the women who are doing your Bible study and say, um, you know, how did, how did you grow this year? Or what was, you know, take, collect the stories, keep the stories, repeat the stories, repeat Mm. the stories to the people who can help develop buy-in into your ministry. Um, They're hearing stories about other areas of ministry, but sometimes we forget that the stories in our area are are every bit as beautiful and every bit as needful for the church to be hearing and and, and being blessed by. So um, tell the stories of the ministry. And, um, and like you said, Jen, because really it can't be said enough, there are no villains in this story. Uh, I mean, I I totally agree with you. I I can't think back to one leader who I've served with, who I would say, he just really wanted women to be invisible in the church. You know, um, they don't know what they don't know, or they're just super busy because ministry is hard and there are a lot of things pulling on them. And so mm-hmm. always, always, always give the person that you're talking to the benefit of the doubt. Um, 
and take time to build trust with that person, mm-hmm. to allow that person to not have to take a risk on you when it's time for them to maybe make a decision about whether they want to pay you or not, because you've demonstrated to them that you are a high level contributor and that if they were to pay you, it would be worth it to the church as a long term mm-hmm. investment in the ministry. Do you think there comes a time where that woman? needs to bow out. Like if she has mm-hmm. persisted in this conversation mm-hmm. and it's not netting any kind of mark, you know, remarkable change for her or for her church, do you give this up or is it something that's so important you keep going? Well, of course that's highly situational. I do think that we have to keep taking the temperature of how it's impacting us personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, is it causing me to be frustrated all the time or is it still life-giving? Is it something that I can still earnestly say I'm, I'm pouring into and it's, and it's, it's my mission. It's my mission mm-hmm. to keep carrying forward. Um, and then I think it is worth asking, are the ways that we're investing in the ministry to women ways that are substantive? Are they ways that are actually mm-hmm. forming women into the image of Christ more than meeting felt needs? Um, I do think that because, as I said, women uh, tend to be more collaborative and consensus-seeking in our decision-making style, that we can sometimes be too deferential to the felt needs of the women in our church and less uh, in, a, in a space of just leading and saying, no, I know this is what you want, but this is what you need. Mm. Um, and, and giving them, you know, that what, what's the centerpiece of the ministry going to be? I'm yeah. biased. I would say the centerpiece should be uh, Bible study that is actually sure. Bible study and then mm-hmm. allow the other things to sort of adorn that ministry, um, yeah. but not drive the ministry. So um, I do think it's important to keep asking yourself, are we, are we doing something that is meaningful in the life of the church? Am I still invested in it? Uh, but there can come a time where if there still is no buy-in from um, those in leadership and you can feel yourself burning out, that it's actually not just better for you, but it's better for the church for you to step out of the role, mm-hmm. that they have to feel the loss of your presence mm-hmm. there to understand uh, the need. And I honestly think that that's kind of how I ended up you know, land landing in that first job that I got all those years ago to bring this conversation full circle. Um, I know that the woman who stepped down would have loved to have kept leading, but if she had stayed in the role and continued to serve under-resourced and um, sort of off to the side, then I don't think that the ministry could have developed into what it needed to be. So she made a sacrifice that ended up being beneficial for the church long-term. Uh, I know it was a hard decision for her, but I, I also think that in hindsight, she was able to look back and say that was the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's a hard word, but I have seen that play out um, before where a woman did go ahead and step down um, to preserve her own situation, not being burnt out, but also that the church would feel the loss of that meaningful ministry. And then, and then significant changes were made. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is a hard, that's a hard valley to walk through. Um, What about those of us, Jen, you and I are so fortunate and grateful to be in situations at the moment, you know, where we are valued, we do have a seat at the Mm -hmm. table, Mm-hmm. Um, we are paid or, you know, I know that you recently stepped down, but mm-hmm. voluntarily. But I chose to. And it wasn't <laughs> because to. I was burned out, just for the record. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just for the record. Thanks for adding that. Um, how can we help our sisters? Because sometimes I feel like I might be making her more frustrated. How can mm-hmm. I be a constructive helper to other women um, who yeah. aren't in a, a situation like this? Well, I do think it's been so important to me to remind myself, and I've tried to remind other women as well, that um, God cares more about ministry to women than I ever will. Mm -hmm. 
and he loves the women uh, in in our in our churches more than we could imagine. And so, it, even though I and my you know five or ten minutes of this life that I'll have to influence um, this particular thing may feel like I haven't been able to make any incremental gains, or like I myself, you know, have been um, uh, overlooked, uh, or or uh, or or maybe. Um, uh, just not invested in the way that I see other leaders invested in, um, that it's important to sit down and number the things that you have been able to impact. Um, mm. Write them down. Write them mm. down. And not to make much of yourself, but so that you can properly thank the Lord for what he is doing. And I do think, you know, we can get so mired down in the in the perceived losses that we forget to express gratitude to God for what has, has already happened and, and to mm-hmm. share the good things that have happened with, with each other, to build each other up. And I think it's important to have networks. I think you need to be talking to other women who are doing the same kind of work. And this is one of the most joyful aspects, I think, of doing women's ministry is those relationships for me have been absolutely Mm life-giving. Sometimes you do have to borrow courage from another leader or strength from another leader. Sometimes you're the one who's loaning it. But Mm -hmm. between us all, we have a sisterhood or we have a network of mothers that is eager and willing to see the family of God thrive. Um, by having both uh, male and female influences to shape our understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. Mm, I agree. Those partnerships and friendships are the dearest to me, and we Mm -hmm. do give and borrow courage as the Lord allows. Okay, Mm -hmm. one more specific question, and then I'm going to ask you to close us out in a specific way. But my question for you is this, should women continue pursuing theological training, especially something like seminary, which is very costly, Mm -hmm. If it is very possible, they will not be paid for their work when they're mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. So before I answer that question, full disclosure, that I do not have formal theological training, I don't say that to recommend that path. Um, I worked really hard to try to get what training I needed to not um, mishandle the scriptures, you know, to have a sense of how to um, to handle the responsibilities that did come my way uh, without error or um, in a haphazard way. So that being said, I would say that a seminary degree, if you have the flexibility to get one, um, is always going to be a gift just from a human flourishing standpoint. I very much want there to be a lot of women who are theologically trained, whether that is because they are self-motivated to get there by hook or by crook, or whether they are able to have access to seminary training. But if you are looking to receive um, a payback on that in terms of being in vocational ministry, then I would say think hard about that. Um, There are always only going to be a limited number of roles for women in the local church. It does require a church of a certain size to have the... um, the sense to look around and say, where are the women that I should employ? So if you are looking to have employment in a church based on your theological training, it means you're, you're consigning yourself to always work in a, in a church of a certain size. Mm-hmm. So unless you feel drawn to do ministry in a big church, then I would, I would think about that. But if you are able, if you just want to teach the Bible and you want to do it really well, or if you want to be a thinker who thinks really well about these things, and maybe you want to write things for your local church, or it's for, you know, being a mom or a wife, I mean, all of these things, or just being a good coworker. Like I said, from a human flourishing standpoint, you can't beat it. 
honestly, you should be able to get that kind of training in your local church, but many of us can't. And so um, you might be the person who becomes the, the conduit by which that kind of training finds its way into your local church. So as long yeah. as you don't need to get paid to do it, I say knock yourself out. Sure. Yeah. And just for the listener, I'm going to link a number of resources in the show notes because there is so much out there. Lifeway, the Gospel Coalition, Simeon's Mm -hmm. Trust. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. ways for us to get educated either for free or Mm -hmm. really cheaply. And, um, and you've done that and you've pursued, you know, really difficult learning and a great education. And, um, as we've said multiple times, women are creative and innovative and we, we will go get what we need and it Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be through seminary. Well, this has been such a helpful conversation, Jen. I could probably talk about it for several more hours, but I won't do that to you or our listeners. (laughs) I would love for you to close us out with just some gospel hope when it comes to this. You know, you just said a minute ago, we can get mired down in the discouragement, Mm -hmm. but there Mm -hmm. is so much that is praiseworthy. So -hmm. could you close us with just some encouragement and good news? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Lord builds his church. Um, He does it through us. Praise God, which is really amazing and and kind of seems like a bad idea to me. But since it's his idea, it must be able to work. And so I do think that if you find yourself feeling like the weight is on your shoulders and it's all up to you, that um, something is off. We can we can remind ourselves, no, nope, the Lord is doing this work, and I just need to look for how I can partner in that work. Um, I think for for many of us, it will always be in a volunteer capacity. I think for some of us, it can and should be in a paid capacity. I think for some of us, it will be outside of the local church. I think there's a reason, not a very happy reason, that we see so many women leading parachurch organizations, but. That is not to say that parachurch work is of less value than church work. It's just a different place to serve. So if you find that doors are closed to you in your local church and you do want to be vocationally doing some of these things, then by all means, look around and see what work you might do in a parachurch space. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's not all on your shoulders. And the Lord does not give gifts to women that are just nice. He gives gifts to women that are essential and indispensable, and that means that there will be a place for you to use those gifts. It's just a matter of where and when and how. Yeah, that's a great, great word to end on. Jen, thank you for your time. Thank you for the way that you serve the church and serve women. We are really grateful for you. Thanks so much for having me on, Jen. Hey, thanks so much for listening to All Things, where we look at current events and cultural trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.